Good morning. It's great to see all of you here this Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday once again as been the tradition of the church for a couple thousand years. And today is full of hope and anticipation as we look forward to uh, Resurrection Sunday uh, next week. I can just imagine that first Palm Sunday celebration, that hope that must have been uh, associated with that moment. Some of that hope was informed, some of that hope was misinformed, but nonetheless, uh, the people were full of hope as Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem uh, in this triumphal entry. Get this, track with me. Jesus' ministry now is in full swing, and in Matthew chapter 21, we're told that he enters Jerusalem, and the people were jacked up, they were excited and they put palm branches in front of him, and they put down their cloaks and began to praise him. And he came into uh, Jerusalem riding a donkey, which symbolically meant he was coming as a kingly uh, person in peace, and he was bringing peace to the folk. Then they didn't understand what peace he was bringing, but he was bringing peace, and the crowds couldn't contain themselves. They began to shout, Hosanna, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, Hosanna was originally uh, a phrase that meant save us, save us, save us. And they begin to shout to this descendant of David, save us. And what they were thinking he would do was save them from Roman tyranny and bring back the, the reign of King David. But he was going to usher in a much greater reign, amen? The reign that would deliver us from the tyranny of sin. And I love how Baker's Evangelical Dictionary defines what was going on that day. Listen to what it says. From those whose lips Hosanna rose that day, seemed to have looked on Jesus as God's anointed one from the house of David, of whom the prophets had spoken and through whom they hoped that all their uh, messianic expectations would be fulfilled. However misguided the particular expectations may have been, their actions underscored the theme of the Gospels, that Jesus is indeed the promised Son of David, through whom the redemption announced by God's prophets has come. In him the age-old cry, Lord save us, has become the glad um, doxology, Hosanna, which equals this, praise God and the Messiah, what? We are saved. Even though they didn't know what they were doing, a lot of them were misinformed. They were proclaiming that day, we are saved in you. Now, they thought they were saved from Roman tyranny, but we know that a greater salvation took place that day. And it was a grand moment of of celebration and hope that they experienced. You know, crowds are fickle. If you're a sports person, you'll know that right away. They can be cheering one moment and booing the next moment. And the crowd in Christ's time was fickle. They cried, Hosanna, this day, in a few short days, they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. But on this day of triumphal entry, I think a basic human need was being felt, the need of hope. Without hope, life becomes pretty bleak, amen? And this crowd saw in Christ hope. Hope that he would save them. And even though some of that hope was misguided, they expressed a basic human need, and that is we have to have hope. If we don't have hope, pretty soon life is just miserable. And on that first Palm Sunday, hope was experienced. And today, as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday, hope is being experienced. And I felt God telling me, talk with the folk on hope a little bit. Talk on hope. So this morning, we're going to talk on hope. We, beloved, are to be people of great hope. In fact, hope should rise among us. It should be like an odor, a fragrance. When people are around us, they rub into hope of Jesus, amen? 
No matter what's going on and how bleak the circumstances may look, no matter how many buggers you're dealing with in your life, no matter how cranky everybody else is, you should be a person of hope because Jesus is in you. Amen? And that hope should prevail. Here's our big thought today. In God, there is to be a prevailing hope. In God, we're just to be people of prevailing hope. I love Romans 15, 13. It's just powerful scripture. It says this, may the God of hope. Did you hear that? That's a label. That's a characterization of who our God is. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may what? Tell, say it all out. So that we may what? Overflow with hope. Not just have a little bit of itty bitty bit of hope. We should overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For a few moments, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go back in time to ancient Israel. And we're going to look at a desperate time in their history. A time where it seemed to be hopeless and where they seemed to be just broken and everything was bleak. And we're going to see in that situation that God speaks a message of prevailing hope. To this people who thought life is over, life is done. The time I speak of is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. He was a refugee. He was deported to Babylon in what is known as the second deportation. Babylon had come in, they'd conquered little Judah, they'd basically wiped her out, and they deported all her people into these refugee camps, so to speak. We would see Ezekiel today on TV as a displaced person. He was a refugee. And out of this refugee status, God gives him these mighty visions and words that we know as the book of Ezekiel. You've got to know the, the, the context of how this guy prophesied. He wasn't in a good situation. He was a stranger in a strange land. He was in adversity. Are you getting this? It wasn't an easy life. Yet God ministered mightily through him. And I'm sure that he and the people of Judah felt hopeless. Their nation was no more. It was eliminated. It was gone. It was dead. And into this situation, the God of God speaks a word of hope. And we see that in God, there's always prevailing hope. God gives Ezekiel a vision of hope. Let me begin to read about it in Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very what? Dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. The other day I was out in the woods with some of my grandkids and we saw some bones from an animal. What do you conclude when you see dry bones on the ground? That animal's dead. No doubt, amen? Dry bones means it's dead. Dry bones are very dead. Can you say that with me? Say it out loud. Dry bones are very dead. That was pathetic. <laughs> i got to coach you all up a little bit here. Say it out loud with me. Dry bones are very dead. Judah was dead. 
Dry bones pictured her. She was no more. Their nation was deceased, gone. There was no hope in their minds of returning back to the land of Judah. We're all going to experience a dry bone situation in our life. We're all going to experience a valley of dry bones at some point. It might not be the ceasing of our nation. It might be. Who knows? Dry bones in your life might be the loss of a relationship, the rejection of a child, the rejection of a mate. It could be a career you thought was going to take off and do well, and now it's just dead. It could be infertility. You thought you are going to have kids, and you're not seeming to have any kids. It could be a major disease. It could be loneliness. It could be the loss of a loved one. You can fill in the blank for your valley of dry bones, but we all experience such circumstances where there's a death of a dream where there's the ceasing of something that we thought should be. God asks Ezekiel, what do you think? Can these bones live again? It seems to me that God was trying to get this prophet to rethink the finality of the situation of Judah. Is dry bones really the final state of little Judah? Because God was up to something. God's always up to something, isn't he? God's always up to something. Here's point number one. When you look at this prevailing hope that we have in God, get this. In the valley of dry bones, God wants us to question the apparent finality of the situation. He wants us to question, is this the way life has to be? Because in God, we always have a prevailing hope. In the darkest moments of life, in that dry bones place in your life, there needs to be an uprising of hope. Amen? Because that's the God that we serve. When you look at that relative or that mate who seems so distant from God, you don't give up your prey for him or her. Amen? Because we serve a God of what? Prevailing hope. Dry bones is not the final answer. God will overcome. God's up to something. We need to be dreamers in God. We need to hope in God. We need to think big in God. We need to have a propensity of hope. We just need to be crazy. We need to be anoxiously hopeful. Not a little hopeful. We need to overflow with hope, amen? Not a little teeny, itsy bitsy little bit of hope. You need to be annoyingly hopeful. You need to have the aroma of hope. You need to have the fragrance of hope. Are you getting hopier? That's who you need to be. I have this propensity to be fatalistic. And God has been rebuking me lately that that's sin because that's not our God's character. He is not a God who says, oh, shoot, I give up. He's a God of hope. What if inventors were fatalistic? What if inventors listened to the reports around them that were so bleak and fatalistic? I have some quotes here. These may not minister to you much, but just humor me. Speed. This is what was said about speed in 1825. What could be more absurd than the prospect held out of locomotives traveling twice as fast as stagecoaches? That was in the Quarterly Review, 1825. Television. While theoretically and technically television may be feasible, commercially and financially I consider it an impossibility. A development which we need not waste time dreaming about. Lead to force, science, and inventor, 1926. Transportation as a means of rapid transit, aerial navigation, could not begin to compete with the railroad. William Baxter, Popular Science, 1901. Automobiles, ordinary horseless carriage, is at present a luxury for the wealthy. And although its price may fall someday, it will never, of course, come into common use. 
the Library Digest, 1889. Aren't you glad some inventor didn't listen to these bozos who were so fatalistic and sure what they were saying? Listen, people of God, you need to have a prevailing hope. You need to be annoying. You need to be convictional. Don't succumb to fatalism. Don't succumb to the naysayers. Be annoyingly hopeful in Jesus Christ. Did you notice Ezekiel's answer to the Lord's question? Can these dry bones live? I, 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 he gives us, I don't know, God, you alone knows. I think most people would have looked at the bones and said, they look pretty dry to me. I, I, I think that they would have said experiences. I've never seen dry bones come back to life. Yeah, they're pretty dead. Science says dry bones are dead. Culture says dry bones are dead. I think most of us would have said, Lord, you know what? They're dead. Dead, dead, dead. But Ezekiel knows that God's up to something, that God's doing something, and he hesitates, and he says, I don't know, God. You know. Boy, he's on to something there. I don't know about you. I'm clueless most of the time. Most of the time, I really honestly don't know. People come to me and say, Pastor, you're supposed to know, and I think it in my mind, I don't know anything. But I know the God who knows. I know the God knows. Do you know the God who knows? Because that's what gives you hope. People don't have that many answers. When people are really smart around me, I think you're really not that smart. But God's smart. And Ezekiel knows something fundamentally that we need to know if we're going to have prevailing hope. God knows. God is really smart. I don't have to know, but God knows. And I know the God who knows. And, and that brings hope to me. See, hope is convictional even when faced with dry bone situation, because God has an answer, and he is the answer. Hope is always convictional. It's okay to be stumped by a situation. Ezekiel was stumped. It's okay to be stumped. He had no idea if dry bones could live again, but he knew God knew. God, you alone know. And hope is building on the God who knows. Hope is trusting in the God who knows. This is so important to get. Now we get to the fun part of the vision. And you know what? We have a video. We're going to watch a video, and it's going to read the next part of Ezekiel 37. I don't talk on this a lot. Maybe I should more than I do. I'm an extraordinarily visual person, and I believe that part of the church experience should always be visual. I love the screen stuff. I give no apology for what we do. Heaven's a colorful place. Heaven's full of light. And part of the way we learn and experience is by visuals. Amen? I love to learn by visuals and touching. I'm very kinesthetic. Are you very kinesthetic and touching? Do you know that most people learn mostly by visuals and kinesthetics? Very few learn auditorily. It's so, I love to incorporate visuals and I love to incorporate kinesthetic stuff into the way I teach because it's the way people learn. If I just stand up here and talk to you for 40 minutes, it's boring for most of you. I know because I see you go... Wake up. Oh, he just said something important. I lost it all. But so we're going to watch this scripture come alive on this video. It's kind of cool. It's kind of out of the box. So just, what do I want to say? Experience it. All right, here we go. Let me finish the reading from Ezekiel 37. I'm going to go through verse 14. I'm going to pick off where the video left off. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. 
We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. I have to admit, I I love this Old Testament stuff. It's stranger than fiction. I read. I read all the time. I'm a voracious reader. I love to read seriously. I love to read for entertainment. And this tops my list of strange stuff. It just, talk about a tough crowd to preach to. Here, preach to these dry bones. I preach to some tough crowds. <laughs> I remember when I was interning, and that was back in the day here, and I had to go to preach to a couple little churches, you know. Tough churches. No smiles. I mean, I was hitting it out of the ballpark, you guys. No response, nothing. All I got back from feedback from one church was, you speak too fast. I thought, ooh, tough crowd. But you know what? Dry bones would top my list. Preach the dry bones. Ooh, I preached some deadness before, Lord, but this is really dead. And it's pretty plain to Ezekiel and then I think to little Judah that even though they viewed their situation as a dry bones, dead thing, God had a prevailing hope for them to experience. He would restore them. This brings us to point three when it comes to prevailing hope, and it's this. Hope is built on a God who is in the business of what? Rebirth and rebuilding. That's the God we serve. That's why we have so much hope in him. I want you to take an elevator ride with me. Do you like going up and down the elevators? I know the kids do. I see them doing it all the time over here in church. Up and down that elevator. Ding, 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 you know. Up and down they go. Where are you going? Nowhere. I'm just going up and down. I said, well, maybe you should plan something else, right? any rate, I'm looking forward to having an elevator right out here. Ding, ding, ding. All the, anyway, well, we'll see how that all goes. But let's take an elevator ride today. On the ground floor is the basic facts of this story. That's where most people go when they read a story of the Bible. And that's not bad. It's just not sufficient. Ground level understanding of, of, the, of, the, of the vision of Ezekiel is understanding that God's doing a marvelous thing in Israel. He's going to bring them back. There's going to be a rebirth and a rebuilding. That indeed happened, amen? They were born again, so to speak, as a nation. They, they are a nation now. It's marvelous to see how true God's word is. And that's great. It's factual. It's great. It helps build our faith in God. And we can look at Ezekiel 37, 24, where it says, my servant David will be king over them. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And they will have one shepherd, and they will know my laws, and they'll be careful to obey them. And God God said there's even a time coming in the nation of Israel where they're going to know who Messiah is. They're going to know who Jesus is. And, of course, that's going to happen at the end of the age. And we can look at this, this whole Ezekiel vision from that factual kind of reference to Israel. And that's okay. It's just ground level, though. It's just the beginning point of understanding. And that's where a lot of Christians leave such things. And to me, you need to take an elevator ride here. You need to go up to the first floor from the ground floor. The first floor is, what does it mean to you? What is your valley of dry bones? And how is your hope rising with you? Because you serve a God of prevailing hope. Are you going to take this puppy home? Or are you going to just leave it hang there as applying to somebody else? Because God wants you to experience rebirth and rebuilding in your own life. If you're not a born-again follower of Jesus Christ right now, you're dead bones on the bottom of a valley. But God wants to speak life into you. He wants you to be reborn. He wants your life to be rebuilt. Amen? What we're celebrating here today when we do all these baptisms is that happening in all these people. They were once dead. They're now alive in Jesus Christ. They've been born again. 
We're going to do 22 baptisms today before the day is over. God's up to something here in the lives of so many people. Is that not exciting or what? That's floor one. Don't stay in the ground level, go to floor two, but then there's floor two. That's when we begin to see that this applies to others and my understanding of the world that I live in. I have a video to kind of bring some of this home. Watch this video, but God wants us to begin to be a minister of reconciliation, a minister of hope to people who are so hopeless, and that's most of our world. Watch this video, please. Hear me, please, on this. Open your heart to what I'm about to say. We live in that world. You may not experience it in your household. Jesus has done a marvelous work in you. But the people around you go to bed scared. They're broken. They're facing valleys of dry bones. We need to get to the level of understanding here of Scripture like Ezekiel where we begin to see ourselves as ministers of reconciliation, where we bring the hope message into this broken, despairing world. Take an elevator ride. Don't be content to staying at the ground floor when it comes to God's Scripture where you just see some neat knowledge and you go, oh, wow, cool, God. Take it to the first level where it applies to you personally. Then take it to the second level. We begin to say, God, how do I now apply this to the world I live in? How do I become your messenger of hope? So I have a two-pronged challenge to leave you with this morning. It goes like this. What valley of dry bones needs to be addressed in your life? What valley of dry bones is God saying right now? That's not the final state. That's not the final word. Because I'm a God of prevailing hope. And secondly, to whom is God calling you to minister to in the midst of their valley of dry bones? Who's God laying on your heart and saying, do you see that broken person? Do you see that despairing person? Minister the hope of Jesus to them. You have a message of hope. You have a, 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 a balm that heals. Bring it, bring it to bear on their life. We're going to pray and then we're going to do baptisms. Would you bow your head? God, I want to pray Romans 15, 13 over us this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for this overflowing hope to be the reality of the Grace Point folk. I pray that we would be people of hope, annoying hope, prevailing hope, crazy hope, and that we would bring that hope to others. We love you and we rejoice in Jesus our Lord. We rejoice that in him we're reborn and rebuilt. For any here this morning who, when they look at their lives, admit, I'm just a valley of dry bones. I don't have the life of Jesus in me. I pray today such a one would give their heart to Jesus. That's what these baptisms are about, people who have done that. I pray that some today would give their life to you, Lord Jesus, for the very first time, really walk after you. As we enter into this holy week of celebration, I pray we enter into it characterized as people of hope, celebrating what you've done for us, Jesus. And we pray this in your great name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.